Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Meller. On this podcast, we love to showcase the lives of women who have achieved amazing things in their careers, those who've got a really cool or unusual job, and some who have just had a really interesting life. If you're looking for inspiration for your career, if you feel a little stuck or bored with what you're doing right now, or if you're in search of the road less travelled job-wise, then this is the podcast for you. Each week, I sit down with one woman to dig a little deeper into the how of it all. How did they get where they are? How did they pick themselves up when things didn't go right? And how their mentors, mistakes and motivations have led them to achieve the things they have. Today's episode is a special collaboration for Smashing the Ceiling, as I've produced this conversation in partnership with Veterinary Woman. Veterinary Woman is a platform to help and inspire women to develop the confidence to overcome challenges and follow their passions. They want to encourage women to be at the forefront of veterinary clinical practice, specialisation, professional bodies, corporates, education, research, industry, government, you name it, we'd like to have female influencers in every area of leadership. And so my special guest today is a woman who embodies all the qualities that both veterinary women and Smashing the Ceiling love to share with others. Kerry Headley is now the Chief Operating Officer of XL Vets, reaching executive level after only four years at the company. Kerry graduated from the RVC in 2011 and started in equine practice in the Northeast. As you'll hear, she developed a love of business quite early and has since completed both a certificate in veterinary business management and an MBA during her career so far. Her MBA dissertation was on women in veterinary leadership, and we talk quite a lot about this later in the episode, particularly the facilitators and barriers to women progressing in the profession. It was such a joy to talk to Kerry. She's very humble about her progress, but the reality is that she has a big job and she is now using her position to lift up other women in the profession, which is really what it's all about. The first question that I normally always ask people, which is kind of a bit defunct in veterinary, but it's like, what did you always want to be a vet? Like, was that your dream from being a child or what did you want to be when you grew up? Yeah, so I did always want to be a vet. So I can't ever remember not wanting to be a vet. Um, I was probably about age four, I think, when I first announced it. And then um, that kind of drove me from there, really. And I think that probably came from a love of animals and uh, never changed. And where are you from? Like, are you from a veterinary background or anything? No, not at all. No, <laughs> no, not at all. And we didn't even have pets at home. Uh, probably about, I don't know, eight or ten, probably, from memory. Okay. And um, I wanted them, so it was mostly um, <laughs> going and stroking other people's dogs and things um so no never ever really considered any other career options I'm quite a determined person so I think once I put my mind to something that was it and um no one ever kind of whether at school or parents ever tried to put me off that or encourage me to look at other options and um yeah off I went that was it you'll often hear people saying oh I really wanted to be a vet but it was too hard or I didn't think I could do it and a few people have told me that they encountered barriers to their progression to veterinary whilst at school were your school encouraging of your endeavors or did you have any issues around access um I think when I say schools were quite encouraging they weren't necessarily encouraging but they were um in fact I can remember one teacher that was probably discouraging and said that I wouldn't get in and there's no point in applying which probably just drove me to do it even more um but I think there was probably no other real kind of career support or advice to discourage me or look at doing other things I think mm-hmm. I I did my school work experience at a vet practice um so I was about 14 when I did that and 
from from then I then got a Saturday job at the vets and I worked there right through to going to vet school actually so for about Mm. four years and they were always really encouraging um, and really supportive so um so that's probably where a lot of the encouragement came from. So you went off there to to uni and um how like how did you find uni life and what did you because you obviously went into large animal practice and equine practice afterwards did you know quite quickly that that was going to be an area of focus for you or were you quite generalist at uni yeah I think I did decide relatively early that I wanted to do um equine practice so I'd decided I want I think I decided I wanted to do individual medicine that was quite important to me rather than kind of okay. health from a farm animal perspective mm-hmm. and why was that why was that I think it was mm. about making a difference to people and an, and an individual animal. So it's probably more the owner-pet relationship rather than farmer-farmer relationship that was probably interesting. Mm. Um, and I really enjoyed the kind of getting out and about um, and the outdoorsy countryside life. Mm. So putting those two things together, I guess equine was the perfect mix. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I did decide fairly early on that I uh, at vet school that I wanted to do equine work and then pretty much directed all my same practice down that route as well so I did mm-hmm. an awful lot of equine did you <laughs> um, and uh yeah so I was really lucky to get a 100% equine job once I did graduate how did you find the transition from university to practice because that's something that often people talk about you know with it's common to talk about sort of imposter syndrome and confidence issues and you know that kind of the stress of starting and I always think ambulatory practice is quite a lonely place you know if you're in a small animal clinic you've got your nurses and the other vets with you but actually when it's you peering into the boot of your car and the owner's standing looking over your shoulder that can be quite stressful Um, how did you find that sort of finding your feet in the transition yeah so it was a nice practice actually so we had um I was one of six equine vets but it was a mixed practice so there was also farm animal and small animal department and across small animal oh, across all three departments actually there was similar age so relatively young okay makes a difference doesn't it yeah it does it's quite a nice support network um and kind of we'd go out for curries on a Thursday night and things like that there was lots of that kind of support in terms of general loneliness that I think a lot of new graduates Mm. experience particularly when moving to a new area um but I think from a clinical perspective I think one of the things probably a lot of people I've heard talking to other graduates struggle with is maybe the owner communications and interactions. Mm. Actually, mm. having done my Saturday job at the vets um, for for four years before going to vet school, I've done a lot of dealing with um, real situations of owners mm. that come out of euthanasia, as difficult you know people panicking um, with emergencies and things like that. I've done quite a lot, of, mm. and I also actually when I was at the RVC. Um, during my third and fourth year I did um an out of hours job on reception as well did you blimey clinic. so um I'd done quite a lot of owner communication mm. um in a real real life setting mm. so I think that probably set me up to not be so worried about the owner side of it um so it really was just the clinical but I think I used to actually find going back to my boot and getting my books out a real help actually um, um, um interestingly probably found that less daunting than if I'd been in a console owner but I think the other nice thing about the practice I worked at is it had a clinic which was a real draw for me so um I had about six stables so we could bring patients in so if there's mm. anything that I was worried about or a wound that needed stitching up and actually um getting an extra pair of hands would be helpful and um, we could just bring patients into the clinic which was really helpful 
and we also had a great nursing team as well so the practice were brilliant about letting us take nurses out with us so if we weren't sure we were happy we, you know, we were absolutely fine to take a nurse mm. with us that had probably seen or experienced a lot of things that we hadn't yet how did you go about if you weren't from that area um identifying that practice because I think it's something that new grads often talk about and I interviewed a couple of final year students the other day and you know talking about support being the absolute key for them you know that was one of their primary concerns and finding the right fit finding the right practice like how did you do that when you were going to an area where I'm assuming you hadn't seen practice in that place or anything like that no I hadn't seen practice at that practice but my best friend from vet school lived about probably 45 minutes to an hour and I had seen practice um I went and stayed with her for a bit and so I'd seen practice relatively locally and obviously I had a friend up near that area mm-hmm. so that was helpful and in all honesty when I applied for my first set of jobs I was just looking for equine only practice okay. that's interesting um, yeah I didn't really look at support necessarily mm. not not consciously anyway so I think I was actually really lucky to mm. be as supported as I was I know that one thing that was important for me was to um try and have something a practice that had a, mm. a, a bigger team of, of vets so not something that was just ambulatory so that was something that was a benefit and actually something that I very quickly came to realize that the most stressful call I would ever get called to as an equine vet was probably a foaling and um, having a team of farm vets that were also Mm. on call that are really good at carving Mm. (laughs) actually alleviated that anxiety (laughs) quite a lot for me Um, but in all honesty I was um, looking for a clinical role and Mm. 100% equine but I do wonder whether the focus has shifted slightly on that actually since because I graduated a few years before you but definitely there wasn't that kind of like when I was looking for my first jobs you know I wanted a mixed practice role and like I wasn't really looking particularly with that sort of focus and actually I was amazed talking to these two um, students recently that they have very clear definitions of of what they want from a first job in terms of the support that they're going to get in a way that I just don't remember that amongst our peer group in a way when we were graduating and I think I do wonder it'd be interesting to see what you think whether that has become has come to the fore you know yeah I definitely think that's changed so I I definitely don't I don't think any of that crossed my mind I wasn't looking for graduate schemes a job with no one I don't think they really existed did they no I don't I'm not sure they did so I yeah I didn't I wasn't looking for any of that really um it was very much I wanted 100% equine practice so I think I think that has changed a lot and in mm. my current role I've been to careers fairs and had the opportunity to to see some of the graduates mm. coming through in years later than me and I know that that's that the focus has definitely shifted from the, the graduates I've spoken to. Mm. I'm also amazed how focused they are like you know when I students come with me now and and they're like yeah I want to do an internship and I've done this externship here and I've done that externship there and I've been doing this 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 and this and I'm like oh my god you know I was drunk most of university and I definitely didn't do any of those things you know like they're so focused which I find amazing Um, yeah it's definitely a bit of a change isn't it so so you were in practice for a few years in a couple of different places and then what was it that um kind of triggered your desire for something a little bit different yeah, it's interesting. I, I really enjoyed being a clinical vet and mm. I think I really enjoyed the kind of owner interactions and making a difference. And so I did three and a half years in equine practice in the end across two practices and I built up some really good client relationships. Yeah, I've had some really good times and really, really enjoyed it. But I'd always found myself interested in the business side of practice. So even as a new grad, kind of when I should probably have been busy thinking about the clinical stuff, I was 
interested in the newsletter and Facebook and doing client okay. education talks and um, how can we make process and insurance forms a bit better than them just getting lost in pigeonholes? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the age old problem. Yeah. And then I was thinking about that the other day, actually, and then wondering if pigeonholes even exist anymore. <laughs> Trays definitely still exist because when I'm locoming, there's always a tray. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> so I'd always kind of got involved in that business side of things. Um, and I think from that interest, I probably always thought I'd go into the business side of practice at some point. In my head, I had 10 years out of practice was kind of my plan. There's no plan to get there. It was just, you know, in a long time, I would probably do some something business related. Um, and actually, both of the practices I worked in were XLVX practices. Okay. And in both practices, I was lucky, lucky enough to get really involved in XLVX. So about three and a half years out there was an opportunity for an equine business manager role at Excel Vets and um, it was a sabbatical opportunity so I thought well that could be a really good chance to maybe dip my toe in the water of some non-clinical work and try it so the opportunity for a sabbatical wasn't um, possible in the practice I was working in at the time so um, my option would have been to apply for the role and then if I was lucky enough to get it would need to hand my notice in which felt much, much higher risk um, actually to do. So I umdenard an awful lot. I spoke to lots of people, um, other vets, vets within the XLVets community, um, friends, parents. Um, and actually there was quite a lot of negativity coming back at me for considering um, non-clinical work. Mm. Um, and I know certainly my parents kind of at that point struggled to reconcile why that, mm. why that would be even of interest to me and that I was kind of would be throwing away my to do it. So um there was a lot of umming and afterwards and I did actually withdraw the application at one point. Um, but then the kind of the final piece that made me go, no, I'm going to put it in, was <laughs> I um, had to chat to another lady that was an equine vet that had um, been in practice for a good number of years and done a diploma in internal medicine. And she had recently made the leap to non-clinical practice. And I happened to sit next to her at dinner one night and... Um, an XLVS meeting actually and she was talking to me about her experience and said just give it a go and kind of take the opportunity it'll be good learning um, experience so I did. Sorry just to kick back a little bit can you just ex- t- tell everyone what XLVS is and um, and you mentioned that when you were in clinical practice you'd had experience of of being involved with that quite uh, with XLVS sorry what does that um, involve in practice and how did that sort of come about? Yeah, so XLVETS is a community of independently owned practices. So it doesn't own any practices, they're all independent. And it's really about sharing ideas and best practice and um, getting people together, really. So when I was in practice, the type of things that I'd got involved in were um, equine initiatives, so marketing initiatives um, at the okay. time, there was one called Old Friends, which was about um, care of the older horse, and there was mm-hmm. some nice marketing materials and things like that. Um, there was also an initiative called Equine Skills, which was um, putting on training for horse owners. So I'd got involved in writing the booklets for those and um, trialling some of the first courses that we put on. So that was the type of thing that I'd got involved in. And so when you went to work for them, obviously, spoiler alert, you got the job and um, and left your role, which clearly was a big deal and, you know, ended up being the right one. But I can appreciate it's interesting what you say about other people being a bit negative about that because having had lots of conversations um, with people over the last year for different podcast recordings about leaving the profession or diversifying your role that it seems 
extremely common and certainly I've been through that as well like with my own parents about not understanding your desire to do something slightly different with your degree so tell me what that involves because I always think there's when you're a vet in practice you hear lots of kind of corporate job names and really have very little understanding of what that actually involves. In the equine role um, it basically covered all areas of equine work that um, XL Vets did so it was really varied it was um, marketing campaigns um, facilitating meetings for our members to get together and share their ideas it included things like um, putting on training course training courses getting involved in medicines procurement so hugely varied mm. to be fair mm. lots and lots of different things so it um, gave me a great opportunity just to touch various areas of the business and I think because it was it was quite a steep learning curve but because it was equine and I understood the context mm. probably made that leap quite a bit easier I think and how did you find um we talked a little bit about transitions but you know I think often people consider it to be quite a scary prospect moving from a job where you okay you may not be in charge of your own diary but you know you're kind of in charge of your own day and you're very independent you're working by yourself a lot of the time out in the car if you're an ambulatory practice so how did you find the kind of move to presumably kind of corporate office life being line managed a bit more directly that sort of thing like how how did that how did you settle into that yeah so I worked from home actually for the first three years at XLVX I worked from home so it's actually in many ways probably more flexible than yeah. my practice. um and uh yeah so I worked from home I and I very quickly really enjoyed it enjoyed that as well um I didn't miss on call <laughs> that novelty wore off really fine. I didn't miss on call at all um so um actually that that probably was even more flexible than mm. being in practice and I don't think um I don't think my boss has ever really tightly line managed me as such <laughs> they were kind of, uh, it's, it's a, we've got a really nice culture at Excel that's of kind of very open and um participative everyone gets involved in decisions it's really quite different so there was there's actually very little corporateness about it that's really nice yeah so yeah it was really nice and actually very quickly like within a couple of days I was quite nervous about starting but within a couple of days it decided it was the best decision I'd ever made so mm. the hardest decision but also the best um, mm. so yeah I was really pleased with the outcome that's really good because I find the whole working from home thing is interesting because it's um Although we talk about in ambulatory practice, you're kind of on your own. You're not because you're seeing lots of people all the time. But I know one or two friends who've transitioned into working from home and actually found that it doesn't suit their personality type at all because they find it too lonely or they find being productive difficult because nobody's keeping an eye on you and things like that. Did you find you're, you're, quite well, you're clearly quite well suited to that? I didn't find it particularly difficult from a productivity perspective, probably better. Um found it really easy to be productive um probably too easy and actually struggled to switch off really struggled to to start with to kind of I think the enthusiasm of a new job working from home and trying to actually shut the laptop at the end of the day was mm. quite difficult but actually that's something that I got a lot better at over time which was good um and in terms of missing people I probably spent most of my time on Skype or the phone anyway mm. to other team members or our members um and my role did actually involve quite a lot of traveling we do a lot is get our members together face to face and um 
so I would probably be out of the office home office that is mm. maybe two three days a week yes. anyway right okay. so it, it was kind of mixed it up a little bit so um it was it was absolutely fine I really enjoyed it so you've had a couple of promotions um at Excel and you're now the chief operating officer which is an extraordinarily glamorous sounding title um <laughs> so what would your like average day or week look like now Kerry I mean coronavirus excluded <laughs> if you're like normal circumstances yeah we're not very average at the moment no indeed <laughs> and I'm not sure to be fair I I tend to have a very average week so my my remit extends to um looking after the operational side of the business so I kind of get involved in pretty much anything apart from marketing so finance HR meeting organization training course organization company's house bits and bobs uh, board meetings um, and on any given week I will do a mishmash of all of that so I've got a team of seven that report to me so um, a lot of my week would be spent um with my team conversations mm-hmm. how we're getting on um, and supporting them with bits and bobs so it's and I am now office based as well so we've got an office in Newcastle that we all work out of um, so I spend spend time in and out of uh, different team meetings and um, yeah really really mixed I'd really struggle to give you what an average day in the life of me looks like to be honest. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah busy lots of change uh fairly fast paced um and yeah it's different every week one of the things i'm really interested in um you know we've talked a little bit about sort of women in leadership before you i'm sure hopefully you won't mind me saying like chief operating officer at quite a fairly young age you've progressed very quickly um how do you find managing people like how have you developed your skills of management and how do you do you see challenges with that and how do you overcome them yeah so i um I very early on when I went into the business related role um, said that if I was going to manage people that I wanted to make sure I'd done some formal training around um, and Excelvets puts on lots of training for our members anyway so I always had the opportunity to sit in on those type of things really regularly um, but I also when I first started Excelvets started the certificate in vet business management with the University of Liverpool which has got a people element to it so I enjoyed that I don't think I've experienced any huge challenges um with people maybe not respecting me per se um because of my age I think um probably and I'm not saying this is right but I think there might be a situation going on where um I think people generally view vets on a bit of a pedestal and I think uh, within my team and within people I've worked with I've typically been one of the only vets um, so I think that probably has helped actually although I'm not saying that's the right thing that that should have helped or made a difference but I don't think I've experienced any significant challenges because of my age. Do you have a particular kind of style of leadership like are you quite collaborative or are you quite kind of cerebral or you, do you have have you, do you feel that you've honed a particular style or do you, have you just gone with your gut? To be honest I think it's probably something that's shaped over time mm. and probably continues to be shaped so I think um, I, I've, I did my MBA which I finished about six months ago and there was a whole leadership module as part of that and again the more I do the more I find out about myself and self-awareness mm. and then mm. how I am as a leader and and I think continually self-developing that it changes all the time um, mm. and hopefully for the better and improve <laughs> um, but that's um 
yeah so I think in terms of how I tried to work with my team would be to definitely empower them to um to be able to get on with things definitely not micromanaging people um and I think try and be really supportive and really empathetic and one thing that I have tried to develop is really good listening skills Mm. um and I think for me in terms of leadership probably at the heart of it is um having having a really trusting relationship with my team and that's something that I work pretty hard to to make sure I've got and that I've built up um so yeah trust is really important and then I think um and I've probably done this increasingly actually over time it's really important to I think I used to think um probably when I first joined Excel Vets actually so in vet practice life my friends were also my colleagues Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really very, and I'm sure you would probably say similar from being in practice, mm. it's quite insular if you like, your your whole life is is mm. that in a vet. And one of the things I quite liked actually when I started at Excel Vets, my home and work life were quite separate. Okay. And it stayed quite separate actually while I worked from, from home. So I ended up, I managed people across three different offices and I didn't work in any of them. Mm. <laughs> so that was, that was quite challenging. Um, but it also kind of, the opportunity to build up that trust wasn't there mm. um and more recently so in the last kind of 12 to 18 months having an office uh with people that I work with and in um has it's been more important and I've seen kind of the real benefits of bringing my whole self to work mm. rather than bringing my work self to work and leaving you to, I'm not two different people I am one person and uh, I think that has then helped with the trust piece as well. That's an interesting one, that, isn't it? Because I know one or two of my other friends, particularly um, women in their early 30s who've um, progressed into leadership positions, have said to me that they have actually striven, as they've got a bit older, to create a distinction between between their colleagues and their friends. So they haven't, they've purposely have not tried to be too friendly with people that they manage. And I think that's quite an interesting dichotomy and an interesting um balance to strike in the workplace of um you know having that trust developing those relationships as you say but having enough distance that when you need to um and well you're hopefully not going to be disciplining anyone in your team but you know what I mean having having the respect as as their leader as opposed to somebody viewing you, you in too much of a friendship capacity yeah and I think I think that there is a balance to be struck there and I think you as a leader you do have to have difficult conversations um about things that you know, we're doing it right now with covid furlough and you know things like that there's, there's lots of difficult conversations being had um but i think those are easier had if you've got a good relationship um, but i agree that there is something about maybe there's there is a fine line mm. between when it becomes friendship and then that gets in the way of being able mm. to do it but um yeah and i think there is a balance to be struck there but certainly i think I think it's I found it quite important increasingly to kind of not have that two separate pieces of me. Mm. I think it's quite exhausting trying to be yeah. two two personas almost <laughs> as, as that distinct previously. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Um you touched just briefly on your MBA there as well, Kerry. Um and I definitely wanted to just chat briefly about that. Um because the topic of your MBA dissertation was on women in veterinary leadership and I'm fascinated by what you found and the kind of conclusions that you came to can you just tell us a little bit about that 
Yeah, of course. So I I did my MBA with Northumbria University and it was part-time one over two years. And um, I think one of the main reasons I wanted to do it was uh, probably from a credibility perspective. I felt like I'd got to a, quite a high-level position and thought, well, on paper, I just look like a vet. <laughs> <laughs> It was quite important. No, that's not true. And also, you're not just a vet. My God. (laughs) So uh, so I think I wanted to do that from a learning perspective and also to hear from others out with the industry because I was really conscious that I'd only ever known veterinary. So um, that was good. So it exposed me to other topics that I would not otherwise have come into contact with, like global business environments and things like that. So, um, but the leadership module was my favorite of all of them I really really enjoyed that um and therefore it's fairly natural that I picked my final project to be on leadership as well and um it was so my project was the barriers and enablers to women um veterinary women becoming business owners in practice so it had quite a tight scope because it was mm-hmm. for a master's project but mm-hmm. um it was it was great actually I had the opportunity to do focus groups with um, we did 22 women in the end. Um, there was about 100 that contacted me wow. um, to take part. Somewhere after I'd already done them, and obviously with the time constraints of I've got mm-hmm. a pro- you know, at that point, my I still had to get a dissertation in, so I had to draw a line somewhere. Yeah. Um, so there was 22 that took part. There was of that group, it was 12 business owners and 10 non-business owners, mm-hmm. and a real mix of. Um, veterinary women within that so farm vets equine small completely mixed some worked in industry research and some out with the industry altogether and um it was there was loads of loads and loads of good data that came out of it um really difficult to summarize probably in a Mm. a short Mm. period of time but it what was fascinating was the different perceptions of ownership within practice between women that were owners and the women that weren't owners so from if you were an owner some of the perceived benefits were it was great to have the opportunity to influence the practice to have the chance to be a good employer um they found it more flexible better for family life they had the opportunity to work part-time and um also financial benefits and conversely the non-owners saw it as all they saw was their their business owners in practice were working really really long hours they never got to see their family they were at the practice at eight o'clock at ten o'clock at night in board meetings and things it wasn't very flexible and they didn't see how it would be possible to to ever do that and have children or any sort of family life and um it was really interesting that kind of really distinct view um and one of the fascinating things was we had some of the focus groups where there was business owners and non-owners as a mixed group we did do so we did that intentionally to try and Mm. see what differences were and interestingly the non-owners on the mixed groups really saw a benefit from taking part so I was I was really conscious that I was taking up people's time in the evenings for my project but actually they found it hugely useful huge learning experience to hear from other women that had done who who had done it who had made who had made it work and how positive it was for them so one of the enablers that came out really strongly was having role models I was just about to say there's almost a mentoring aspect to that 
as as an exercise isn't there absolutely yeah so there was a load of actions that have come out of that kind of initial pilot project that we're hoping to to put in place which include mentoring and putting some formal bits in so people can um look at role models how they found it and how they've they've got to those um those places but yeah I was I was really conscious and really grateful that I was taking people's time and and that people were giving it but they were thanking me for allowing Mm. them to take part Mm. and there was also you know there was lots of factors that came out and broadly they were in kind of three categories so it was individual factors so things about what kind of people's career aspirations were so if they've wanted to be an owner if their parents have been owners um that kind of influenced them and they were um they were more likely to become an owner but one of the biggest things that came out from most people who were non-owners was kind of an identity crisis where they really attached their identity to being a vet Hmm. and if they weren't a vet anymore who were they so that was fascinating um and also there was a lot of people that talked about business ownership providing them the opportunity to get away from the repetitive work of um practice so um i think if people haven't gone on to do more specialisms they sometimes they find in general practice a bit boring after a certain time mm-hmm. and it was giving them something new to learn and and grow and develop into um there was also financial constraints so people who weren't owners saw a big barrier in terms of buying into practice and where do you get the finance from how mm-hmm. difficult would it be to raise it mm-hmm. um burden of having a big business loan as well um but those who had recently bought in who had been worried about that said actually it was nowhere near as difficult as we thought it would be yeah Um, so uh so yeah just that real different view so I think it's really helpful to be able to share that experience of those who have become owners with those who haven't because there was yeah there's loads to learn um and uh, just hearing that it was possible I think there's that old phrase you can't be what you can't see isn't there you know like you've got to be encouraged by people who've gone there and done it before you and you know that that when you take them with you you drag others along as well you know and so are you implementing some of those findings in Excel Vets then carry as well yeah, so the next steps are, um, we've been slightly delayed a little bit by COVID-19 getting in the way. but Haven't we all? Yeah. <laughs> we were very, very lucky that um, while I was actually doing the initial project, the vet management group put out a request for their um, funding for um, projects. So one of the topics that they were looking at was leadership, uh, gender equality within the profession, um, and so I put an app, a grant application in for that. So we've got some funding to do a follow-up project. Brilliant. So the idea is that we're going to broaden that out to leadership in general rather than specifically ownership because it was quite narrow scope really for that, mm-hmm. for, which needs to be for a master's project. So we're going to open it up slightly wider to um, leadership in general and um, and do some further focus groups and then probably some more detailed uh, follow-up interviews as well um as part of that so we're hoping to get that started um in the next few weeks um and then there's another couple of projects that we're looking at so one of the big barriers to people becoming owners was that there's um a maternity clause in a lot of partnership agreements so it makes it almost impossible for some people to afford to have children um because they were needing to pay for a locum and have no income 
whilst having a child. Yeah, so it was a double edged sword and um it was something that actually first came out, I think it was in I am trying to remember, I think it was in the seventies or something. It was it was a long time ago. There was an in practice article. I've never heard that before. God. And it's still existent in a lot of partnership agreements. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that we're actually looking at now is we've got a working group of um, some of the ladies that took part in the initial focus groups to kind of look at what the maternity clause for the future. Um, and actually, there should probably be a paternity clause and a yeah. shared yeah. clause as well um, and really move this on a bit. So um, so we've got a working group set up to look at that. Um, and there's other projects as well so mm. that we want to have a look at. So the something that came out in conversation in the focus groups was what is the ideal worker in vet practice these days is it someone that's working 80 hours doing on call Mm. lots of long long days or is that just not realistic these days Um, and is that something else but also anyone who's working 80 hours a week is not working at their at 100 percent because it's like saying you know would you want a surgeon that had worked a 24-hour shift to operate on you no you wouldn't you know like well I wouldn't anyway you know and you just think actually they somebody who's not well rested isn't you know you're not think you're not relaxed you're not thinking clearly that's I just think there's so much evidence now not just in terms of the kind of well-being aspect of it but just in terms of the productivity and the monetary aspect of it as well particularly around uh, rest and sleep is is overwhelming really the evidence and if we're working off an evidence basis then there is no excuse for that anymore yeah and I think it's something that we hear quite a bit of feedback of about from within the profession about kind of the snowflake generation that (laughs) Mm. prepared to do the hours and things like that and so there's obviously got to be a shift in that mindset of what what is the ideal worker these days because it's not what it used to be no need for that to happen either no Uh, so uh yeah so looking at that kind of ideal worker piece so yeah there's there's lots and I think the um there was so much data that came out of the initial Mm. research because we had quite a mix of different people on there, we had lots of different views, but from kind of a couple of people. So I think what we're hoping to achieve uh, with the next project is that it's um, we hear from bigger groups of, of those mm. people and um, get even more data. Last time for the project, I put it on the Vets Day Go Diversify and Vets oh, yeah. Facebook pages, mm-hmm. uh, which is where a lot of the interest came from, I think. We also did... Um, uh, short note in the vet times and the vet record which I think it also attracted lots of mm. lots of interest um, and everyone who took part last time or contacted to take part last time um, uh, has offered consent to be contacted mm. next time mm. so okay. I'll be doing an email probably in coming weeks as well so one of the other things that we're looking at doing after uh, as a result of the project is kind of creating a, a probably in the end twice a year event and kind of having a veterinary women's network so oh, cool. doing that in collaboration with veterinary women um to get people together share ideas some cpd and learning elements so we were hoping to have our first face-to-face one in september this year mm-hmm. which i suspect won't be possible now but hopefully we might manage a virtual one later this mm-hmm. year Brilliant. Um, and it'll be face-to-face in 2021 as ever, thanks for listening. You can follow me on socials at Naomi the Vet with underscores between. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do tell a friend or give us a little rating and a review on iTunes as it really does help other people to find us.
Thank you to everyone involved in the making of this podcast for your help and support. It has been much appreciated.